Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings and one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and the amazing Aaron Adams and I are recording this week's episode on Thursday, October 13th, 2022. Now, Aaron, this is six days after Marvel Studios' first ever special presentation, Werewolf by Night, debuted on Disney+. Plus. Likewise, the day that the final episode of Season 1 of She-Hulk Attorney at Law became available for downloading off of that subscription streaming service. And you've seen both of these, right? Yep. Can't wait to talk about them. Let's get to it. Okay. Well, we're going to hold on that till the second half of the show. Because, again, lots of interesting news this week. And, and as always, a uh, news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay. So, big news story this week. It actually keys off of what we were talking about on last week's show. What's been going on behind the scenes on Blade? So what was it? It was two weeks ago. We found out that uh, Basim Tariq, who was originally supposed to direct this reboot, which was supposed to start shooting next month in Atlanta, suddenly stepped away from the production. Now, I think on last week's show, we tried to, to share what... Marvel Studios was putting out about this, like, no big deal. This stuff happens. You know, so there was a, a, a statement that the studio put out that due to continued shifts in our production schedule, Bessem will no longer uh, be moving forward as the director of Blade, but will remain as an executive producer on the film. We appreciate Bassem's talent and all the work that he's done getting Blade to where it is. You care to interpret the bland corporate speak there, Aaron, or... Uh, no, it's always the, uh, I, I miss this in radio sometimes where mm -hmm. there would be a big, huge blow up event, mm -hmm. expletives flying, doors slamming. Mm -hmm. No, you can't fire me. I quit. Mm -hmm. And then later that day, there's a nice little memo. Jeff has left the broadcast facility. We wish him well in his future endeavors. It's all very cheery and up, up. And it's like, man, you guys almost came to blows about three hours mm -hmm. ago. And it's like, yeah, but corporate has to put this version out. Yeah, you know, that that's the joy of a press release. And in this situation, we're supposed to put a, a, a cap on all the turmoil that was going on behind the scenes. And I think we alluded to on the last show that Mahershala Ali was, was supposedly unhappy with the shape Blade Scrape was in at that point. And, and he then became very hands-on with the rewrite. Word has since come out about the storyline for that version of the script supposedly started in the 1920s with the day walker that that's you know a vampire uh, who can walk about during the day yeah there we half, go. half human half vampire in this case if it's blade okay uh and he's supposed to have taken on a group of european vampires and with the story taking you know regular hops in, in decade-sized chunks in time and supposedly would bring us right up to the late 1990s early 2000s which that's when the original blade trilogy was produced so evidently by the end of this we would have had uh, Mahershala dressing, uh, you know, and behaving much like Wesley Snipes did in those films, which is interesting, a fun idea. But again, evidently Mahershala was up upset with the state of the script. And the, the, I, I've repeatedly seen mention 
of just two kind of underwhelming action scenes. So he asked for a rewrite. So Marvel Studios bows to this request. They replace Blade's uh, original screenwriter, Osei Kufer, with Bo Mayo. And he's the showrunner of Marvel's upcoming animated series, the X-Men 97. But again, the, the, the original hope here is okay. So Bo will come on board. Uh, he'll get the, the rewrite done. And this Blade reboot will still be able to go before the cameras next month, uh, which would then allow Marvel Studios to put this production out in theaters for November of 2023. However, when Marvel executives finally get their hands on the first draft of Mayo's rewrite of the Blade script, which Bo tried to address a lot of Mahershala's concerns about uh, the Osei Kufer version of the screenplay, only problem is the rewrite now calls for all sorts of new sets and locations, which means much of what had already been built at Trilith Studios out ahead of the start of production of the Blade reboot next month now isn't going to work. This is when Marvel Studio execs supposedly go to the Blade production team early this week and effectively told them, go home. We won't be shooting this movie next month. We're going we're to wait till we get a finished, polished draft of, of Bo Mayo's Blade Runner rewrite before we then lock in a specific start date for production. But, but as of right now, it looks like we're not going to get started until the late winter, early spring of 2023 at the earliest. And with the delayed start of the Blade reboot, this movie now needs a new release date, not to mention a new director, which we'll get to in a moment. So Blade gets pushed back 10 months with its release date shifting from November 2nd, 2023 to September 6th, 2024, which means that Deadpool 3, which had previously been announced as being released to theaters on September 6th, 2024, now it needs a new release date as well. So that Sean Levy movie, which Ryan Reynolds is coming back as the Merc of the Mouth, plus Hugh Jackman is coming into the movie to reprise his, his role as, as Wolverine from 20th Century Fox's X-Men movies. So that gets pushed back eight weeks to November 8th, 2024, which, uh, as you may recall, was the date that Marvel Studios' very highly anticipated reboot of the Fantastic Four film franchise was supposed to come out. So that Matt Shankman movie now gets pushed back all the way to February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2025. But Aaron, it's the next domino that, that fell that, to my way of thinking, is the really disappointing one. Remember how tough it was to wait that full year before we saw how the story that got underway with Avengers uh, Infinity War in April of, of 2018 got resolved? Oh, yeah, and thank goodness we'll never have to go through that ever again. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say that line correctly? <clears throat> Let me try another take. Yes, okay. I do remember that, Jim, and thank goodness we'll never have to go through with that again. Yeah, I like the second take better. We'll go with I, that one. We'll go with that one. Okay. I just, <laughs> I mean, uh, Avengers Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret War were actually going to come out in the same year. In fact, you'd only have to wait five months to see this story resolved. Uh, Kang Dynasty was supposed to open in theaters on May 2nd, 2025, and then Secret Wars would follow in November, uh, in November 7th of that same year. Well, you can forget about that, folks. Uh, Avengers Secret Wars release date has just been pushed back to May 1st, 2026, which means 
once again, we got to wait a full year to see how the storyline, which is set up in, you know, Adventures, the Kang Dynasty, actually pays off. By the way, have you been following the casting rumors about Secret War yet? Well, I mean, it just involves anyone who's ever appeared in the MCU, even for a split second. Have we gotten to the point where Chris Evans comes back as one of his, his Johnny Storm Fantastic Four self instead of the Cap self? Because that's know, the one that would make me just giggle with glee. I uh, See, that's a great idea. That is a genuinely great idea. I was more intrigued, though, that Nicolas Cage got approached to come back as Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. But speaking of Chris Evans, evidently both Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. have been courted to come back to be Cap and Iron Man yet again. But evidently the thinking here is that Secret War will attempt to make that final battle scene in Avengers Endgame, you know, where, where Thanos and, and all of his minions attack the... The, uh, the entirety of the MCU. Everybody shows up for that battle, yeah. Yeah, so but so they the, want to put that one to shame, right? That's the well, goal. Well, th- they want to make it look like a kid's birthday party. You know, yeah, a couple of yeah. impersonators show up. So, but bigger battle, more characters, far higher stakes. Can that even be done? What does it take to make that happen? I how much don't... stuff do you have to throw on the screen all at once? And the other thing I guess intrigues me here is that Joe and Anthony Russo did the screenplay for uh, Infinity Wars and and Endgame, and likewise Civil War, likewise uh, Winter Soldier. So they were very, very, very much part of the mix. They, they, they worked the mechanics of these. And I want to say on these two films coming up, isn't it, is it Mike Waldron who just got hired to do Secret Wars, the, the, the gentleman behind Loki? Because uh, I want to say there was a different screenwriter for the Kang Dynasty. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just sort of like, ooh, you know. Well, I, the Russo brothers haven't proven themselves yet. You know, they, <laughs> no, they've only all. made a couple of billion uh, over the course of their time at, at Marvel's uh, mm-hmm. cinematic division. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think we need a big hitter for for this uh, Secret Wars. And so uh, we're going to go elsewhere. Thanks, Russos, but no thanks. Hard pass, guys. Wow. I, By the way, slash S for sarcasm on that comment go. right there. <laughs> totally don't mean it. Okay, okay. I mean, I just... Didn't they even flat out say that if they were going to come back to the MCU, they wanted to do Secret Wars? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, they've been singing that song like, oh, just... Uh, Dear Mr. Feige, if we had one dream, it would be Secret Wars. Please make it come true. And uh, they would sing him to sleep every night for several months. Mm. And apparently Feige just didn't like that song. And he got so... Yeah, I really don't understand the thinking about why Mm -hmm. when they did so well Mm -hmm. with both Infinity War and Endgame and they just... All they want is to do uh, Secret Wars... Did they pitch an idea that Feige was so dead set against where he's like, oh, geez, guys, mm, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. I got a different idea in mind. And then they, you know, had a little lover spat about it, a little creative tete tete where it didn't work out so well. And they're like, ah, oh, maybe maybe I'll go with this guy because he's a little bit more yesy. So when I say do this, they want to do that, and they don't argue back as much. I don't know. I can't figure out why they didn't go with Russo Brothers, but congratulations to the guy who's directing it. I can't wait mm-hmm. to see what he comes up with. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's got to be a reason, right? 
We'll continue to dig down into this, folks, and try to find out what's going on here. But anyway, before any of that can happen, Blade needs to get made. This particular MCU film reportedly provides a crucial chunk of story that then sets a lot of events in motion, which then lead up to the the one-two punch of uh, the Kang Dynasty and, and, and Secret Wars. And I, for the life of me, I can't figure that out because, I mean, we did get that hint at the end of Eternals where Blade is just off camera as Kit Harrington's character goes to pick up the... Uh, right. Yeah, we've got the voice of Blade. Yeah, and I keep hearing that when we finally get to see Black Panther Wakanda Forever a few more definitive story chess pieces come on the board. And so we have a sense of, okay, that's where they're going. This is where this story is headed. You know, I'm, I'm just more surprised that you're not taking all of this very personally. I mean, you traveled across the country. We had, we had a, a Comic-Con, and they said, mm-hmm. here's half of our release schedule for all of our movies, and it's so exciting. And then they had a D23, and you traveled, mm-hmm. and you spent a bunch of time and effort and money mm-hmm. to go do the coverage. Mm-hmm. And then you come back with exclusive news, everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, you deliver the exclusive news. The other half of the, the missing schedule, it's like the Rosetta Stone being pieced mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And we can all try, cry victory. We know the mm-hmm. future schedule. And then like a couple weeks later, Kevin's like, hey, guys, just kidding. That's not what's happening. I uh, <laughs> see this one dude. He didn't like what we were doing. And so nine things have to be changed because of it, right? And like... All that effort, and it's just, oh, it's it's fluid, guys. Things change. Don't really listen to us, but listen to us. That shows you how important Marvel Studios thinks Mahershala Ali is to the Blade relaunch. That And, and think about it. They actively courted this guy. Two-time Academy Award winner. Took home Best Supporting Actor in, I want to say, 2016 for uh, Moonlight, and then uh, Best Actor in 2018 for, uh, what is it, The Green Book. Let me let me throw this view at you real quick before you complete that. Because mm-hmm. Edward Norton, great mm-hmm. actor. He's no longer with the MCU. The guy that played Rhodey initially uh, mm-hmm. in the first movie, and I can't think of his name right off the top of my head, but I can picture him clearly, uh, mm-hmm. no longer with the MCU. Uh, Edgar Wright, great director, not with the MCU. There's a point where you can push creatively differences. Mm-hmm. I have a difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Kevin's got to agree with one of the two. Mm-hmm. And I think he agreed with Mahershala on the story. No, it's not there. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's two opinions in the room. There's got to be a judge over that, right? True. Kevin's Kevin's final say. Mm-hmm. And if Kevin is siding with someone, it's not just because Mahershala is talented, because we'll give him that credit all day long. Mm-hmm. More importantly, he's right. His opinion is based in sound decision making for making a good film. Mm-hmm. I think that's the real reason that Mahershala is still in the picture instead of him walking out and the director staying. Because if the director and slash scriptwriter were correct in this instance, Kevin would have sided with him and Mahershala would have said, nope, not for me, thanks, but pass. Mm-hmm. So they're all talented individuals. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Marvel wouldn't be talking to him right now. No doubt, no doubt. But remember, you know, at the point we are right now, again, they literally sent everybody home from the set. And so Bo Mayo needs to deliver a finished, polished version of his Blade rewrite, which obviously Mahershala Ali has to sign off on. 
sure. then Marvel Studios actually needs to find a director for this movie. And and the story I'm being told, Aaron, is that a lot of folks that Marvel approached over the past two weeks or so, you know, about, hey, would you be interested in helming this project? It's like, look, I'm going to need to see a script first, and I'm mm-hmm. going to need to know in advance that Mahershal is happy with this version of the screenplay for the, the Blade reboot. Because right. I don't want to happen to, to Tariq to happen to me. And what I've been hearing from a number of folks at Disney and Marvel is that Bassam was basically the sacrificial lamb. Because face it, it's Kevin Feige in the Marvel Studios Story Trust that actually makes decisions about which stories get told in what MCU films. Likewise, which Marvel produced limited series on Disney Plus. So it was Tariq and Ose Kufer, he he wrote the original screenplay, who who took the fall here from Mahershala being unhappy with the original script for the Blade Reboot rather than Feige and company. And which is what supposedly has a number of replacement directors for this project hanging back. So this was a big deal. You know, he was literally the last person they brought out on stage when Marvel did their whole H presentation at San Diego Comic Con in 2019. You know, comes out on stage wearing the Blade hat, and everybody loses their minds. Like, oh my god, they're redoing Blade. But Disney is willing to indulge. This six-month-long stall when it comes to the start of production. Likewise, what's going to be a fairly pricey rewrite of the Blade screenplay when you factor in all of the sets that need to be trashed and the new sets that need to be built, plus just what's involved with going out and recruiting a new director for this project. And, and as far as Disney's concerned, this extra hassle, this extra expense is worth it if it finally gets the Walt Disney studio into the horror business because that's the thing disney has been trying for decades to get into horror they've stood back and watched how other studios have the halloween series or the friday the 13th series these films are famously inexpensive to produce and make huge money uh, but because of Disney fam- family-friendly reputation, they just could never enter this field. And whereas if you look at Werewolf by Night, which was kind of a lovely throwback to the, the classic universal monster movies of the, the, the 30s and the 40s, but but with a certain amount of an update, a, a, you know, reflecting the world of today. And so I would argue that was more of a PG-13 horror than anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That That is uh, the type of movie where a lot is done with shadows and your imagination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, putting in the sound of a celery snapping is, <laughs> is a great because something, some some limb got broken, maybe a neck got snapped. I don't know, but I know that something bad happened. Something in the shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and there was a, a big scene where the you know it was just shadows and imagination, which is exactly what you're saying. Leaning into the universal horror monster films was mm-hmm. a lot of that was done through the magic of shadows and light mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, it's, it becomes a question of, do we ever need to go into the Saw horror film franchise mm-hmm. type of blood and gore to satisfy the horror enthusiast of today? Mm-hmm. Because in the olden days, uh, you know, there's the infamous story of the first time they showed a film, it was a train 
on the tracks yes. coming towards mm-hmm. the camera, and the people mm-hmm. in the room watching the film got out of the way like a train was going to come crashing through the wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So over time, the the expectations of the audience has gotten more sophisticated, and shadows, just quite aren't are as scary if you're a youngster, sure, mm-hmm. that gag will still work wonders for you. But for mm-hmm. us adults who've seen the gag, we might notice that Werewolf by Night is a little bit on the bloodless side, but we'll get into all the specifics of all that later. When, when we talk about specifically Disney wants to get into horror, mm-hmm. Jim, I think this is going to be uh, like a spectrum that we're going to have to consider where if we're in the, the ultraviolet light, that's mm-hmm. it's the shadow horror. Mm-hmm. And if we go all the way over to the other side of the spectrum, it's the saw blood and guts horror. And will Disney ever get that far? I don't think they will. I don't oh, no, think they no, really no, need no. to. No. But uh, it's to temper the expectation of like there are horror enthusiasts out. Like Hellraiser just came out. Yes, I was yes. So happy. Yeah, I was so happy to to, to watch that because I am a fan of the series overall. Mm-hmm. But I love the movie, the the new version, and really? it's a thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I really did. And uh, well, I like Jamie Clayton quite a bit. I think okay. she's a, a wonderful actress. So mm-hmm. I was happy that she got to a chance to be Pinhead. That's an iconic role. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was much discussion about that on uh, for many different reasons. But beyond that, I mean, uh, it was just an exciting time for a Hellraiser fan to see new material. Okay. And uh, okay. so anyway, that's off subject. But yeah, it's it's the the spectrum of horror. Mm-hmm. And some things go really dark, and some things just play with shadows and a little bit of gray. So that's the thing that we always have to keep in mind when it's Disney going horror. It's it's kind of spooky. It's interesting you you, you say that because of course you know you, you can't talk about Hell, Hellraiser without Clive Barker. Sure. Did this honor the, the the earlier Clive Barker ones or? Oh yeah, well he was involved with it, so I mean mm-hmm. he had all the say in the world on mm-hmm. this and. Uh, the people that were about you, you put a trans woman mm-hmm. in as pinhead. How dare you? You're so woke. You go so broke. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, Clive Barker's gay. Mm-hmm. The Cenobites are based around BDSM, homoerotic mm-hmm. images. And uh, it's always been about gender fluidity, sex, and pain, and mm-hmm. a combination of all of it. Mm-hmm. And what better way to, tra- to represent all of that than putting a transgender woman in the role? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was. Uh, you know, I mean, it was like you, you, if you, if you're, if that's your complaint, you don't understand the source material, you shouldn't be involved in the conversation. Please step out of the room. Well, it's, it's, the thing I, I find fascinating about this is yes, you, you are completely right about Clyde Barker and the Hellraiser series and, and all that. But what's fascinating is if we go back to April of 2000, the Walt Disney Company pays $8 million to Clive Barker. Uh, to buy the rights to, he was planning this quartet of adventure books called Arabat. I want to say. Oh yeah, I've got them. They're, they they read forwards and backward the mm-hmm. uh, text, the the cover. Mm-hmm. When you read out Arabat, you can turn the book upside down and it still spells Arabat. It's one of those oh, words okay. that reads the same upside mm-hmm. down and backwards. Okay. Um, and so all of his titles were supposed to be like that. Yeah, but 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 again, this master of horror that, that, that Disney recognized, and again, stood at the edge, looking into all of the money that was being made from the Hellraiser films and that sort of thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. we want to be in bed with this guy. 
so wildly imaginative. He's got a book of art as well. Yes, that yes. That is quite, quite beautifully mm. odd and stark in its own Clive Barker mm. goodness. But, mm. you know, the Aberat series was, you know, aimed at children more than straight horror fans. It was, it was. Yeah. But what, what Disney loved, and, and in fact, you know, remember, there was also the Guillermo del Toro thing that got announced in... Right. 2008, 2009, the uh, Disney Double Dare. Yep. You know, same thing. It was the notion of, is there a way into the horror field? And, and so mm-hmm. embracing these two masters of dark fantasy. And, yeah. and in fact, it's so funny you mentioned the book of Clive Barker art because, you know, again, when he went to sell the project to Disney, you know, and, and again, it, only Clive Barker could do this, you know, that, that he invited them to his house and did the presentation of of, okay, this is what the story is going to be. And it's like mm-hmm. the Disney people are, okay, that's intriguing. Okay, come with me next door. Because B- Barker had bought the house next door and had filled it with the paintings that he had created to support uh, Arabat. Yeah. And, you know, and that was the thing. Disney, you know, went from room to room and saw the, all this artwork and is like, okay, we're in. You know, here's $8 million. This is ours. Nobody else can have it. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, Disney stood at the at the edge of it. And it's like, what do we do with this? You know, how do we do this? It, it is stunningly vibrant and utterly unique and original work that, you know, I mean, it's like seeing your first Picasso. You're like, okay, uh, Picasso hmm. painted, you know hundreds if not thousands of paintings but you 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 see one and you go ah that's a picasso just mm-hmm. by the look of it by how mm-hmm. it was created and mm-hmm. clive's got that where mm-hmm. out of the thousand you know images in that book mm-hmm. you go oh I, I can tell clive made that mm-hmm. totally it's just got that that look of what the thing that he makes in mm-hmm. image form it's really weird no i just I, there's a part of me I, again given the way disney operates and the they hang it to rights forever, and and if you think about Disney Plus is the Grand Canyon for content. You know that they, they constantly right. have to come up with new things. It wouldn't it be lovely if if they circled back on Abrat and you know it's like ooh we could do something with this. You know after all of these years. Yeah, they they've definitely got um, specific holes to fill in the Halloween season, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be really particular about it, because remember how Star Star Wars has Life Day for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, so, you know, like, well, maybe they'll want to create a special for that, that mm-hmm. that plugs the Christmas hole with a Star Wars flavor. Mm-hmm. And Marvel, oh, we got a werewolf by night. We got to plug that in Halloween, right? So they're going to want to fill specific holes mm-hmm. with specifically branded flavors. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aberat's, you know, like one of those things where it could be like a Halloween special that lasts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if there's four episodes, four books, mm-hmm. uh, one for each week of October to fill up the, the spooky month. Ooh, that is a great idea. That is yeah, there, there's so many things that they could do, but you're right. It's the hunger for new content, mm-hmm. and how do we plug it consistently? And and you uh, every year, guaranteed mm-hmm. October, you mm-hmm. got to do something spooky. And if you yeah. don't, you're out of fashion. There we go. Right. All right. Well, speaking of which, we, we do need to to get to uh, Werewolf of London. Uh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I did it. Damn. I what. Got the name wrong. Uh, Werewolf by Night, likewise, episode nine of uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law. So tell you what, folks, give us a sec here. And when we get back, we'll, we'll leap into those two topics. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before we get started here, uh, we did sort of allude to Deadpool 3. What the hell is Ryan released now? <laughs> did he put out a new video? Well, no, I mean, it, the, the train is leaving the station. The revival of The Music Man that Hugh Jackman is doing on Broadway right now at the Winter Garden Theater. They've announced their close date, uh, January 1st, 2023. And what's interesting is the paparazzi has begun parking itself outside of the gym that Jackman is now going to every day as he has to build up his physique to play Wolverine in 2023. And it's just, you know, I do hope that the, you know, the poor costumers you know, working at the music band, they're going to have to let out his Harold Hill outfit. Harold's going to suddenly get a little bit more bulky during the last couple of weeks of this musical. But the other bit of Deadpool 3 related news, did you see this whole T.J. Miller thing? that got underway last Wednesday? Yeah, what a knucklehead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was All just right. like, wait, why are you complaining? Why Why today did you decide to complain about, about nothing that happened several years ago? Did you just mm-hmm. want to talk bad about someone today? Mr. Miller previously played the bartender Weasel in the first two installments of the Deadpool series. But last Wednesday, TJ went on SiriusXM's Jim Norton and Sam Roberts show. And then began talking about some pretty awkward moments on the set of Deadpool 2, which led Miller to describe Brian Reynolds as kind of an insecure dude. And and TJ further went on to say that due to Ryan's onset behavior, he would not work with Reynolds again. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. I just, I just want to say, the guy who owns Mint Mobile, <laughs> Aviation Gin, half of the Wrexham Soccer Club... Uh, is a film star of many, many, many movies, probably has some trophies for it, millions of dollars in the bank, married to Blake Lively, is insecure? <laughs> was was that his statement? I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to make sure I heard clearly and I, I didn't have a flashback from the 90s. Continue. Okay. Well, again, that was last Wednesday. Yesterday, Wednesday, October 12th, Miller revealed that Reynolds had reached out via email after this interview had aired on Sirius XM, and, and all was now cool. 
Miller explained, it was all a misunderstanding, so I emailed him back, and so now, like, it's fine. Which I guess is an indication that we may see Weasel in Deadpool 3. I'm not thinking it's going to be a sizable role. I don't see Ryan doing any special YouTube videos with uh, Weasel in the background with Hugh Jackman talking about the upcoming new Deadpool 3. No, probably not. Probably not. Okay. No. So Well, I think for Ryan, you know, the, the quickest way to shut down everything is just to contact him and, and do the, hey, is everything okay, man? Can, is there anything I can do to patch things up? Because that puts the ball in his court. You, you get off clean uh, for being the person who's, you know, caring. Mm -hmm. And uh, it shuts him up right away. And it's done. So That's that we can move on. Excellent observation. Okay, moving on now to this week, Marvel Studios limited series over Disney+. Plus. Let's start with uh, episode nine of, of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, where, <laughs> look, previously this show has, has had fun with breaking the fourth wall, but this episode, they didn't break the fourth wall, they obliterated it. What did you think of what essentially was what uh, the second act of, of this episode? Well, the second act, no, because uh, the the opening I gotta yeah. address first, where mm -hmm. they remake the the intro to the original Incredible yes. Hulk TV show. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Well, first, if that's the way that you're gonna open the show, you've won mm -hmm. me over. Mm -hmm. No matter what you do for the rest of the show, I, I loved it just for that. Mm -hmm. The way that they did the remake, like there's a thing where Bruce Banner doesn't look it right away. It's mm -hmm. like the timing is completely off and stilted of the head turn. Like mm -hmm. there are some funny decisions on how badly they made that <laughs> quality. It was yes. like, oh, so 80s, so good. Yeah. So you had me from go with that. Okay. Now to get to the part that you're talking about, mm -hmm. did anyone else think they had suddenly like shifted in their chair and sat on the remote accidentally when it went back to the title screen? <laughs> did you have that moment, Jim, where you're like, what the hell? Did I sit on the remote? What's going on? And then Jennifer Walters as She-Hulk literally using the menu as... Yeah, as popping out of her title card like it's a, a guest shot of... Uh, oh, what was that show from the 60s? Laugh-In? Laugh-In, there we yeah, go. Yeah, where they pop out. Yeah, so she's doing Laugh-In with the freaking Disney Plus uh, titles area. Mm -hmm. Decides to hop down in the back, uh, mm -hmm. into the behind-the-scenes... Mm -hmm. uh, was it uh, one of the assembled episodes? There we go, yep. Mm -hmm. Goes into the writer's room and starts off by going, Guys, what the hell? And then, uh, yeah, so then she, they ended up talking about the tropes of, yep. of writing for superhero, mm -hmm. which was great. Um, all of the things that they addressed with just, you know, what a typical story is, the fact that she wanted to go see Kevin. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I really want to say about Kevin is if you notice, okay, so he, he's a robot with three lenses, right? The mm -hmm. red, green, and blue. Yep. But if you look closely at that, that mm -hmm. circle of three lenses, mm -hmm. there's like a little um, visor, an arced visor that goes over it. And then a mm -hmm. semicircle on top of that, that looks exactly like a freaking baseball hat. <laughs> did you notice that, Jim? Yes, they, they did. A nod to Mr. Feige, who is never without his baseball cap. So, right. yes. But again, I also point out that that is what us bald guys do. But But please, go on. Look, I thought for mm -hmm. sure She-Hulk was going to smash mm -hmm. uh, bad guys and, and there was going to be rubble in the streets and buildings were going to fall because that's what Hulks tend to do. Mm -hmm. To go up against a robotic Kevin Feige mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and rewrite the episode to just mm-hmm. undo things and have the main character de-hulked mm-hmm. to have the Hulk disappear and not have to save the day because it's her damn show, not his. Mm-hmm. She don't need that. And by, by the way, I've, I've talked before in the past about how using music mm-hmm. can really, really make a moment. Mm-hmm. When you have a fight scene and you're using big energy mm-hmm. as the song, and I'm not going to quote like any of it because it's just foul. Okay. But, Jim, for you, mm-hmm. the main thing is... Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. the lyrics to that song are rather empowering in a, mm-hmm. in a rather graphic kind of way. So mm-hmm. Google the lyrics at your own risk. But, but mm-hmm. they're using, they're using a, a female empowerment type of song there, right? And then to, to go on to... Uh, we run this after mm-hmm. the, the credits are, are closing. And uh, I think they're trying to make a statement. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we could talk about the, the beats of the, the show all day long because there mm-hmm. are so many and they are so great. But mm-hmm. the thing I got to ask you more importantly, Jim, mm-hmm. is, I mean, they, they made fun of all of the haters, the, the trolls. Oh, yeah. The question ends up becoming... Does this kind of thing break the MCU to a point of no repair? Is it a thing where we can't take it seriously anymore? Is it mm-hmm. is it too far? Is it too much? Mm-hmm. And I honestly think, no, they haven't gone far enough. I mean, it's the thing that is absolutely necessary mm-hmm. to keep the MCU fresh. It is to get to a certain point and if you take yourself too seriously, you're the ass, actually. Mm-hmm. You have to develop a sense of humor about yourself and let yourself be the joke from time to time and be comfortable with the fact that, you know, you yourself are the punchline. And it's just in the same way that we're going to talk about Werewolf by Night in a few minutes about how that's going to plumb the depths of horror just a touch mm-hmm. to start to explore those waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel the very same way about She-Hulk is that the people will criticize it Mm-hmm. And a lot of it for the fourth wall breaking, probably mm-hmm. very specifically for the fourth wall breaking, mm-hmm. because how do you address that in a team up film? Now that we've actually been inside the freaking hallways of Marvel Studios, mm-hmm. can you go into Secret Wars with her as a character and not have that in the back of your mind? It's so interesting you say that, because remember, when she's leaving and Kevin says, yeah. see you on, on the big screen, and she's like, really? He's like, no, not really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... Funny, it's, funny joke. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, perhaps grounded in reality, because like how the, the very thing you mentioned, how do you bring a character who's done this? Uh, but at the same time, isn't that the same challenge with Deadpool? It is. And as a matter of fact, wouldn't it be great to see her and Deadpool get together for five minutes of breaking the fourth wall at the same time to the same audience? Oh, that'd be killer. I mean, just the possibilities that you create Mm -hmm. with these differences of how you handle a character. Mm -hmm. The MCU is full of jokes, but we've never up until now really had a character Mm -hmm. look directly at the camera and do Mm -hmm. the wink. Right? We've never been able to do that. And so now we can. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just opens up what you can do cinematically. Your cinematic language just got a little bit wider. That's all that happened. 
But but at the same time, I, I, the very fact, for example, that that Jennifer calls Marvel Studio itself on going back to the well at least once too often with sure. the Super Soldier Serum story. You know, it's mm-hmm. like really the blood again. And I have to say, the I, I loved the, the, her turning to the camera, get the notion of hey, what about X Men? And you know, turning to the camera, thumbs up, like hey, I asked, I did, I did it. You know, the, right, the yeah. thing you want me to do. It's like no, we're not talking about that. No, I mean, those are the things that are actually on our mind. It's it's almost like, and I do feel every mm. so often, yeah. Kevin listens to our show. Because we <laughs> we ask these same questions. Yes, and he's yes. like, hey, let's just uh, throw a shout out to Jim and Aaron today and just mm. say, uh, shut the hell up about the X-Men. It's going to be a minute. <laughs> okay. Okay. But all right. One final thing about episode nine of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Okay. We have our, our backyard barbecue we have the relatives asking awkward questions we have mad murdoch but then here's mark ruffalo's hulk with and and, oh by the way everyone i'd I'd like to introduce you to my son yeah they glossed over that like a set of chapped lips in the winter time yes i mean this huge huge thing um so so the i had to look up if they actually had a, an actor or if it was a CG creation entirely, and they do mm. have an actor for oh, it. Okay. And his name is uh, Will Deusner. Mm-hmm. He is 20 years old, and he is by no means a bodybuilder. He looks like, you know, your average young mm-hmm. high school kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in a couple of movies in the past. I think he was in Stargirl, the DC television project. Oh, okay. So, I mean, you know, he's he's got to play, uh, you know, in, in with the big boys and doing mm-hmm. the, the stunts and, and stuff like that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they they use his face, I guess, because mm-hmm. that seems to look right. But they bulk him up digitally mm-hmm. for that three seconds of screen time that he's in there. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. uh, blink and he's gone. Now, at some point, Jim and I are going to do Marvelous Disney After Hours. <laughs> where we talk about how Hulk can hit it without smashing I, it. Because I... <laughs> it's like he, 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 he was stuck as the Hulk size the entire time he was on that planet. Mm-hmm. That was the gag. Okay. And uh, so that means that if he has a child, mm-hmm. that uh, he had to have a, a romantic evening. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would like to see the, the woman that could... Um, well, anyway, I'm getting off subject, but uh, okay, yeah. I, I, Hulk, that's for marvelous Disney after hours. There we go. That, that, I, I've heard the same story about Superman, and yes, we'll, we will definitely yeah. save that for an after hours show. Okay, but but speaking of after hours, I, you know, which brings us to night, which brings us to Werewolf by Night, but it, well, a wonderful throwback to the look and the feel of the universe, the Universal classic monster movies of the 30s and the 40s. But but again. With a with an updated style, and I'm sorry, I I wasn't ready for the moment when it was revealed that the werewolf character's real name was Jack Russell. Yeah, really, yeah. like the the Jack Russell Terrier. Yeah, I, I I told you that little bit, like when we first heard that it was going to come out. I was like, oh, this is what the yeah. guy's name is, and it was yeah. a joke. Not mm-hmm. me making a joke, but like you know, mm-hmm. they knew that what joke they were making by naming the main character mm-hmm. Jack Russell. Um, and it's just a, one of those things where, like, when my wife found out, she gave a, a eye roll so loud <laughs> it shook part of New York City. Anyway, 
<laughs> but I, I, I loved going into this cold because I had no idea that the monster in the maze was Man Thing, um, and and, oh, right, and so yeah. that was a delight. But but also, I loved the left-handed quality of that. That it's like he's Ted. You know, that moment where, you know, Jack is like, look, you know, I have to send you to my friend. Call him Ted. You'll be fine. And to watch the whole body language shift of, oh, I'm watching. Oh, okay. You know who I am. All right, cool. It was worth it alone for the scenes of Jack and Ted together. Those were, they weren't the cherries on the Sunday. This was Cherry's Jubilee. That was so much fun. But then the actual monster movie around this was just dead on. In fact, I, I think you, you were talking earlier about the amazing use of shadows and, and sort of inferring things with sound and all that. There was a one thing in the, in the opening that I was... There, actually, there's a, a couple of things that caught my attention right away about what they were trying to do, and I wish you would have stuck with it. They do the uh, scratched film, the damaged film effect. Yes. Okay. Uh, when the when the credits are starting and the and the movie gets going, you know they've got it in the first few minutes, and then like as soon as the narration starts, they get rid of it, and at that point, it looks like a very clean digital modern look, and it, and it loses that age. And I really wish they would have kept the aging process over top of the mm-hmm. entire film. I wish they would have put in a bad splice or two, um, you know, where where audio jumps okay. like by a couple of frames. And I think, you know, the only reason why it may not have worked and why they decided it against it is when you bring in the gemstone and the, the use of red color. Because that was an effect they couldn't have done in the Dracula days of the old Universal Monsters. And that's where your your brain would have went, something is off and I don't mm-hmm. know why. And you would have had a real reconciliation problem with what you were seeing on screen. Is modern effect with aged mm-hmm. effect don't quite work. So, and the other thing is like, I saw that they use the mm-hmm. cigarette burns, you know, and you, you know, you know what a cigarette burn is for a signal for getting ready to change the reel in, in the theater days. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Yep. So you put in a cigarette mm-hmm. burns and they were squished, which means uh, using an anamorphic mm-hmm. lens, right? Isn't that how that oh. translates? But was mm-hmm. he really, or was it just a digital effect that they bloop, plopped in over to, to give that feel, that flavor that, yeah, it's still film and it's anamorphic because it's a squished cigarette burn. And by the way, just so I'm not missing 90% of the audience, a cigarette burn. Jim, please explain for the audience a cigarette burn briefly. Now, this was in the days of when you used to make a manual change, when when the projectionist would sit in the booth and there were two projectors side by side because you could only put, I want to say, three reels of a movie at a time on, on the really big reels that, that fed into the machine. But in order to know the moment that you know you needed to throw from projector one to projector two, which had the reels for the second half of the movie, you know there was this thing up in the corner of the uh, the, the I want to say the upper right hand corner of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's in the upper uh, right hand corner. The screen yep. that you'd see for you know a tenth of a second. That get, okay, there's your visual cue. Fire up the other projector and hit the button to, and you would literally throw down the shutter on one movie uh, projector and throw up. <laughs> the shutter on the other projector and if you did it right it was this seamless experience it just went from one scene to the other but it was it was that little manual thing that was done to cue the 
projection is to get ready. You know, this is, you know, I, I, I want to say the chuckles. This is what you're getting paid for. There we go. There we go. <laughs> right, yeah. But, so, I mean, obviously with digital in the digital age, we don't need cigarette burns to tell the projectionist to, to throw yeah. it. And, and when a, a perfect circle Mm-hmm. gets crushed and, and makes more of like a, an eye shape where it's mm-hmm. it's a more of an oval, sideways oval, mm-hmm. um, being a indication of a panamorphic lens like Star Wars. George mm-hmm. Lucas did uh, use panamorphic uh, lenses. Mm-hmm. And so what you have is like a giant square mm-hmm. uh, of film and the image is all stretched out, mm-hmm. really, really long and tall. But you're, you're capturing a huge amount of data, light information, so that when you project light through it and run it through uh, the proper lens, it gets mm-hmm. shrunk back down to the right size. But it's this super detailed picture with lots and lots of rich data to give you mm-hmm. like super wonderful, beautiful, rich colors and such. So, uh, yeah, anamorphic lenses, cigarette burns, the, the decayed film effect in the beginning. And we do have to mention, by the way, have we ever mentioned that Michael mm-hmm. Giacchino, who directed this, mm-hmm. and obviously he's known as a composer of music yep. but have we pointed out the fact that specifically that he wrote the, the Marvel fanfare that runs before every Marvel film we have not we yeah. should do that now Okay. Uh, yeah. Michael G. by the way Michael G. Pino, uh <laughs> he wrote the Marvel fanfare that runs before every film ta-da okay now for that to play at the opening of this and for him to change it with the slashes and the screams and the horror and the re, um, retooling of the orchestration of the music. Who better to do it than the guy that wrote the original, right? So I think this is a, a chance for him to dive in and play. By, by the way, I wondered why this guy got this job. I mean, obviously, he's a composer. He's really good at it. But why, why choose him as a director? And I think maybe the fact that he wrote the opening thing is like Kevin going, after all these years, I'm going to throw you the biggest bone in the world, buddy. Because you did me this solid. It's a good piece of music. We've used it without shame ever. No one's ever come up and said, hey, that piece of music's a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. It's rich. It's full. It's heroic. It's yeah. perfect for the, the Marvel name. So anyway... Mm-hmm. Besides that, I was like, did he direct anything? And he did. Mm-hmm. And I want to direct people to the fact that there's it's a short film called Monster Challenge. Mm-hmm. It's maybe 10 minutes long, and it has Patton Oswalt <gasps> and Ben Schwartz. Oh. It is good with the comedy. Oh, it's funny. And, and it takes place in Japan, and Patton Oswalt gets in a monster suit. Mm-hmm. Like he's a kaiju run, rampaging through a, a city, but it's for a game show. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you anymore, but man, is it, is it good. So okay. uh, anyway, okay. Michael directed that. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? It, it looks, you know, I, I've heard you say before, Jim, it looks professional. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's well lit. The camera looks good. I mean, everything about it looks good. It's a good mm-hmm. story. It's nice. Yep. It's tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see someone looking at his, his work and going, yeah, you know what you're doing behind the camera. I don't see this as being risky anymore. So uh, good on Michael for stretching out and doing a little bit more than just uh, writing wonderful music for all of the films in the world, but now becoming a fellow filmmaker to all the other people in the MCU. That's cool. I'm very happy for him. Uh, Same thing here, but I I do want to give a quick shout out. I mean, this thing was... 
beautifully cast, whether it was Harris and uh, Harriet Sampson, uh, Harris, uh, Veruso Bloodstone, uh, you know, the, the, the widow of Ulysses or, or Elsa, uh, Laura Donnelly, and even Gail Garcia Bernal as Jack Russell was so much fun. But but the kicker, friend of the show, Kirk Thatcher as Jovan, I want to say he was the first one taken out by Man-Thing when we finally mm-hmm. got to see the, the, the monster in action. But it was lovely to see Kirk up on the screen, which, by the way, Kirk is definitely in the mix this time of year because he directed last year's uh, Muppet Haunted Mansion, which has gone on to be, well, this time of year, it, it trends in the top 10 for stuff over at that subscription streaming service. But it was lovely to see Kirk on screen, and it's hard to see him get taken out by Ted, but somebody's got to be taken out by the monster. But... I think you said this online earlier this week, which, by the way, again, if you're not following Aaron on Twitter, you're missing out on some fun stuff. But you, didn't you basically say if if this is the first, let's have more Halloween specials or more of these special presentations from Marvel Studios? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I was saying before, the, the you know, you've got to plug your, your holiday holes, so to speak, mm-hmm. on the calendar with content. Mm-hmm. And uh, what better way to do it with a, a werewolf story? And I like the fact that it wasn't, you know, like they weren't trying to do werewolf in London werewolf. They were doing a, a classic werewolf where he's a, still a man with lots of hair that needs a good shave. Right. If, it, it, that kind of werewolf looks like if you just gave him a good shave, he could be back to normal. Before I forget, uh, yeah. you know, it's worth noting here that the day this debuted, on uh, on Disney Plus uh, at the Avengers campus, they had a werewolf by night prowling the upper level of the Avengers campus uh, at, at California Adventure. So they they're still on their A game about bringing the characters into the park, and um, you know that that that's that's a wonderful continuing collaboration between Disney Parks and Marvel Studios, and please keep that up. So. Um, well, anyway, folks, I, I think that's going to do it for this week for uh, Marvelous Disney. And as I mentioned earlier, if you're not following Mr. Adams on social media, you're missing out on fun stuff. So, Aaron, can you, you tell the, the nice folks where they can find you? Yeah, over on Twitter, you can follow me at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. And sometimes I complain about minor little nitpicky things right around the corner of the Indian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Super secretive about the recipe. You got to sign a waiver to order food. It's so ridiculous. But, I mean, it's no big deal. It's just your standard non-disclosure agreement. Non, non-disclosure I, 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 agreement. <sighs> I'm going to report you to the dad joke society. These are, I mean. It's a better I'm, written joke than it is a verbal joke because it, reading it, you get it right away. But hearing it, you got to. Yeah, I'll rethink that one. All right. In, in addition to to Aza Prod, uh, you, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, look forward to seeing you there. Uh, also, we, we do have a couple of other podcasts here. We have Disney Dish with Lentesto. We have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor. Uh, we have Looking at Lucasfilm, uh, which I do with Brian Gaughan. If you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney. Uh, likewise, if uh, you know really, really, really like what you're listening to here, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So 
thanks for listening, and Aaron and I will be back soon.